Blog Talk Radio. My name is Misha Novicki and I'm from Herdecke, Germany, and I'm on the journey with, with Neville D'Angelo. Welcome to the journey where we meet fascinating people with novel solutions to life's tricky little problems. I'm your host, Neville D'Angelo. Along the way, we play a few fun games while tracking the intriguing characters of A Soundsbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicit, A Time to Begin Again. We're glad you joined us. Today, my guest is New York poet, my friend and brother, Rick Couchman. The last time he was with us, we ran out of time. Rick has just returned from Brazil and agreed to chat with us again, and I'm grateful Today we'll be looking at a poet's life through his poetry. In particular, we'll be looking at four poems, which you can find on the Journeys blog. Click on the link if you are listening to us live. If you are listening to our podcast via iTunes, smartphone, iPad, or tablet, you can also access the poems via our blog's URL. That is matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. Matchbox Mystery is one word. Matchboxmystery.wordpress.com The poems we plan to address today are The Feast, Prelude to the Journey Up the Mountain, The Evidence of Things Not Seen, and R.I.K. And through them, we hope to get to know a little bit more about our poet, Rick Couchman. Rick, welcome to the show. Hi, Nettle. Thanks uh, for having me on again. Uh, it's certainly an honor and a privilege. Well, it's it's an honor for us to have you on. I noticed that you've quite, caused quite a stir on Facebook over the last couple of days with a new poem that you've put out there. Uh, were you expecting to stir, or were you uh, wanting to stir things up? Well, uh, actually, uh, no, it's never my intent uh, to deliberately stir up controversy. Um, That's not the kind of person I am. Uh, The poem, in essence, uh, simply uh, reflected uh, some questions that I've had over the past uh, 20 years. And um, uh, the poem was my way of sort of exploring that question and uh, to invite uh, my peers and and, and friends uh, to, to comment on it as they please. I certainly respect uh, the views of my peers and colleagues and, and friends and certainly want to hear what they have to say. But, uh, again, the intent is never to uh, stir up controversy. Yeah. Well, it is, was a very powerful poem. I, I rather enjoy reading it on a number of levels, and it's nice to, to see your bold courage in, in just – uh, saying what's in your heart and and and, and leaving it out there. Um, it was nice, of, of course, to see the comments of several folks out there. I hope probably to get to know them better. But uh, we're not going to be dealing with that poem necessarily today. Uh, we're, I mentioned the four that we'll be talking about. I hope um, my audience has a chance to uh, get to know you much better. Now, the first poem that I have... Um, you is the feast, and I must tell the listeners that uh, 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 Rick wrestled me to the ground, uh, saying I must read his poems. I lost, so, so, so 
so we compromised. I'm going to read uh, uh, two of his quotes, and he's going to read the other two. Um, yep. So, you ready for the feast? Yep, let's do it. Well, let's get that one going. The Feast by Rick Couchman, read by Neville D'Angelo. We carried ourselves proudly. None knew the privation we endured, the pangs of hunger, the longing for a morsel. Our source of strength, each other and the God of heaven, our source of sustenance, the nearby cane field. The bare pantry mocked us. The empty table taunted us. Well did we understand Oliver, poor child, and the widows and the fatherless, and those overwhelmed by penury. But we held our heads high, daring hunger to do its worst, refusing to be humbled, to be brought down. We dared to live, resisting defeat, while the wolves of starvation lay siege around us. I came home that afternoon, and what awaited? A feast. <laughs> a feast, the envy of the gods. A banquet rivaling those of kings. Five plates, five hungry mouths. The table was set. No baked meats adorned its surface. No wine to make glad the heart. No desserts to transport the soul to heights of delight. But a miracle lay in each plate. Porridge. The union of grated cassava, sugar and water. A feast like none other. A feast incomparable. Wow. That was well done, Neville. I got it just for the end there. Oh yeah, I I got the full poem. That that was uh, incredibly uh, well done, and I have to tell oh. you, that, uh, it was a very emotional moment for me, um, sort of reliving that uh, particular experience. And um, uh, our listeners should should understand that uh, that actually occurred um, uh, when I was uh, around age uh, eighteen or nineteen. Um, and uh, I was responsible for uh, taking care of my, my brothers and sisters. Uh, at the time, I was the sole breadwinner in the family, and uh, we certainly uh, endured our experience of privation, um, but we were able to uh, get through it. 
And, um, you know, one very important individual uh, is sort of behind the scene. I get usually get the credit for uh, taking care of my brothers and sisters um, uh, during a, a very important period of time in our lives. But uh, one uh, person who doesn't usually get the credit is my sister, Inga. And uh, she was the one who actually uh, made uh, the porridge of uh, cassava and, and sugar and water uh, for us that afternoon. And, um, you know, the credit uh, goes entirely to her. Well, I, I, I miss Inga. I haven't uh, seen or talked to her. I, I thought I saw her on Facebook. Um, is she in the U.S. or...? Yeah, she's in Where, she's in Florida actually. Um, it's Florida, yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I actually knew that. Well, that's pr- pretty good. Obviously, uh, telling my listeners, I I knew Rick very well then, and uh, looked up to him very much for the way he handled, uh, you know, uh, leading his his brothers and sisters, leading his family. As he said, uh, being the breadwinner for for his family, five of you in all. And I'm glad that you were willing to share. The story. So um, obviously, as 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 it was a, a part of your life, so it uh, became the poem. But what influences you to choose one aspect of life to talk about rather than the other? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that poem reflects a period in our lives uh, when we, what I would say, you know, experienced uh, uh, something along the lines of, of poverty. Um, you know the word poverty. Poverty is is uh, you know sort of a broad uh, construct. Um, there are various categories uh, of, of 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 poverty of the poor, as uh, I should think. Um, we struggled, and um, I'm always uh, concerned about uh, poverty as a situation. And it's uh, not a situation that anybody uh, should be in at all. Um, You might notice that recently I started to reflect on on the issue of poverty through some uh, photographs that I put on Facebook um, that I titled The Least of These. And uh, basically the intent is to highlight that that issue, uh, to draw some attention to it. I'm not uh, being pedantic about uh, the issue of poverty. I'm not... Uh, telling anybody what they uh, ought to do or ought not to do. Uh, again, it is simply my way of, uh, of highlighting my own inner struggles about the issue and things that I want to be, uh, be doing in uh, my sphere of activity. But I think it's, uh, it, it was a part of our experience, and I wanted to sort of highlight that in that poem and uh, through the uh, images that I put on my Facebook page. Now, the... the, the there seems to be a differentiation when when I look at your uh, your art or, or photographs on Facebook. Some of which, of course, is on the blog A Boy's Heart. Uh, there's a link to it uh, for those of you who want to follow on um, by the blog. You can see some of, of the uh, photographs. Um, I didn't put some of the latest ones there. I saw some uh, pretty good ones, uh, moving ones that you you put up there in the last few weeks. Um, but there is there is a striking difference between uh, what we see in that image or what is purported in those images, and the first line of of your poem in which you said we carried ourselves. Um, I'm, I'm misquoting you uh, right now, but uh, proudly. Um, how, how do you, how do you explain that difference? Well, 
we carried ourselves proudly because we didn't want to uh, be identified with the embarrassment and shame of, of, of poverty. Um, many people didn't know our situation. Um, we didn't want anybody to know. It's, it's, uh, it, it would be an embarrassing uh, situation to, to have to sort of deal with. And so um, we masked uh, the situation uh, pretty well. In contrast, there, uh, there, there's a destitute group out there that fascinates the hell out of me. What's interesting is that uh, I've seen some, uh, some of these individuals, um, as, as Shakespeare's, as, uh, you know, one of Shakespeare's character, uh, uh, characters, uh, King Lear, um, in, uh, in the play of the, the same name. Uh, in fact, it wasn't King Lear who said it. But uh, one of the characters looking on King Lear when he was uh, sort of going stark staring mad and, and really was down in the dumps uh, said, is man no more than this? And sometimes I've seen these individuals um, in, in the gutters uh, rummaging uh, through the garbage or for food, um, smelling, um, uh, uh, you know, looking dirty and, and really less than human. And what is interesting is that I don't see these individuals attempting to, uh, you know, get rid of themselves or to end their lives. There's this kind of resoluteness about these individuals. In a sense, there's a kind of, their self-esteem seems to be better than ours. They don't care about being uh, clean. Uh, that's not important to them. They don't uh, care about being, you know, all smelly. Uh, they don't care about the way people uh, look at them. There's a resoluteness about which they uh, go about their own existence. And what is interesting is that they don't uh, rely on the things we rely on. Um, I noticed one homeless guy. He wasn't asking anyone uh, for money because if he asked uh, for money, they would probably just drop it into the palm of his hand. Or if he were to go anywhere to, to buy something with that money, they probably wouldn't let him into the establishment because of how deplorable he looked. And so he didn't need those things that we need, you know, money. Um, he has an endless supply of food because, uh, you know, you know how much uh, food is thrown away here in the United States. There's always food in the garbage. And what is interesting is that his immune system seems, uh, you know, like a rock. Um, and, and you wonder how these people exist. Now, you know, I, again, I say this without fear and trembling. There's something about these individuals, um, and I watch them, and I learn from them, and I wonder, and I, I'm in awe. Um, but when all is said and done, it's a problem that people have to be living in such deplorable uh, conditions. And as the character said in King Lear, is man no more than this? No, I, I think man is more than that. The human individual is more than that, more than simply that person living in the gutter, rummaging for food in the garbage. And uh, to the extent that I'm able to do something about it in my own little way, I will. And there are people who are doing things uh, about it. Uh, hopefully more will, will get on board and uh, really do what is necessary. Well, uh, it, it might seem that I'm making a switch from talking about something uh, as heartfelt and worrisome as this to your vacation. You just came back from vacation from Brazil. Uh, do you, would you like to talk to us a little bit about that before I go to the next one? Well, it was 
certainly an enjoyable uh, vacation. Uh, I was talking to uh, AP about uh, you know a story that I made up. So you know I I uh, died, went uh, to to heaven to face my maker to uh, you know uh, so that it can be determined be determined where I was going to go. He looks at me and he said, uh, Rick, you have two choices: heaven or Brazil. I looked at him and I said, you know, Is that a trick question? I said, you know, I choose Brazil. I'm sorry. <laughs> It was a fantastic uh, vacation. However, one thing uh, really uh, struck me. Um, you know, there's there are other parts in the world of, uh, of the world other than the United States uh, with its uh, metropolitan uh, and individualistic uh, society. One thing Brazil reminded me of, as as, as you know, reminded me of my own country, uh, Guyana, your country uh, too, is the simplicity of existence. Uh, the sense of community. One of the things that uh, I experienced there was that I was uh, sitting in, in, in a home, we were having breakfast, and someone showed up, you know, the neighbor, uh, just showed up, uh, you know, the door was open, walked in, and, you know, started talking. Uh, he was on his way home, and he had uh, uh, a bit of cheese with him, and he left half of it uh, with the household. Uh, that's the kind of thing that happens, and I remember that happening back in uh, in my hometown, in my village, uh, in Guyana. And even then, growing up as a, as a boy in uh, in that village, you know, we were, were we didn't have the the means. It was hard to to exist. But you know what? Uh, there was always some neighbor who would uh, drop by and uh, leave of half of you know leave half of what they were uh, taking with them. You know. You know the rice or sugar or meat or fish or something like that. And it was a joy to see that that, uh, that still happens. And in a sense, um, it made me, you know, not desirous of coming back to the United States to live in this uh, crassly individualistic uh, society where the, the sense of community is, is absolutely absent. But uh, it was a great vacation. <laughs> Now, what, what we well, I was going to ask you what what you think accounts for that difference, but uh, let, let, let me just go to the next poem, and uh, and that might come back up again. Uh, just I, I don't want us to run out of time, like we did the last time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, oh. The next poem is. Go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the next poem is uh, Prelude to the Journey Up the Mountain, a very bold and courageous poem. Let me play that one. Okay. Sure. Prelude to the Journey Up the Mountain by Rick Couchman, read by Neville D'Angelo. And must I blindly follow your command, doing that thing most difficult which you ask? Raising the question whether heart you possess? But no argument from me will you get, for against you, I am no match, yet I rebel, not in refusal, but in acquiescence, for in so doing I rise above you in morality. No cause for worry is mine, no feeling of guilt, since heaven's endorsement have I acquired, while hell looks on gleeful, encouraging, mocking, awaiting the completion of the act. Well, that dreaded night I recollect, when from you the words I received 
fatal and murderous words which none should hear, shattering a father's peace, disturbing the order of things. Well, that night I do remember, when at hearing those words, the heavens and the earth hurled forth their protest, thundering and quaking their displeasure, bewailing the abuse of power. The despot's whimsical pleasure construed as test. Later that night, I watched him as he slept, oblivious of the divine plot, serene, peaceful, trusting, innocent, him to whom I gave life, O oh, son, a life soon to be snuffed out, snatched away. From fitful sleep to the solemn morn I rise, lonely and friendless, aged and wiser, but now with a heart of stone, of that which I was asked to do, I cannot speak. Of that which I am about to do, neither friends nor wife can be privy, for they will consider me among those from whom reason has taken flight, among those to be examined, put away, confined. But far hence, and in many places, fools will analyze and expound upon this event deeming me praiseworthy. Those guided by faith will laud my faith, holding me up as its witness and model. But ask any child, two, three, four, or five, whether such an instruction its endorsement has, whether such an instruction it would follow, note the incredulity in its response, note the resounding no! Note further its belief that no such instruction from him would come, for such would call into question his goodness. But ah, what does a child know? Who would pay it any mind? In the meantime, then, up to the mountain I will go, there to confute existence, to obliterate innocence, there to affirm the unjust, to give definition to my being, and to dare to confront the universe. Well, there you are. Would you like to tell us about that poem? <laughs> wow, did I write that? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and the last line is, is uh, clearly. Uh, 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 an Eliot's uh, influence um, uh, coming out of his uh, the love song of J. Alfred uh, Prufrock, uh, "Do I dare or do I dare?" and uh, right. there again, dare to confront the universe uh, comes up in a few of my poems. But uh, I, I got to tell you, this particular 
uh, poem again. It's uh, th these are questions that I've had, um, you know, over the, the past 20 years or so, and um, was finally able to uh, sort of, a, you know, deliberate on them in in this poem. The uh, idea of a, a man being asked uh, to kill or to murder his own son. Um, by uh, a divine being. Um, as, as I've said before in uh, my other poems, my intent is certainly not to expound any particular theology or any such thing, but it simply raises uh, questions that I that I have. And the questions that I have are not necessarily questions that uh, question my faith, as it were. My faith, as I've said elsewhere, is solid. My faith is sound. Um, I believe uh, strongly in God. Um, I stand in awe of God. It doesn't mean that I can't question him. You'll notice one uh, daring thing that I did, uh, or the, that the speaker does in the poem, is in a sense questions God's morality. Now that's... <laughs> Wow, you know, who would do such a thing? But, you know, um, and why not? You know, God is God, and he can take it, you know. <laughs> if he can't take it, then there's a problem. You know, if God can't take my, my honesty um, and the, the, the honest deliberations of my heart, and if he can't hear that, if he can't hear my concerns, then I want nothing to do with such a person. But I understand that God is, God and he's willing to to hear and listen to these concerns. Um, he's not afraid to 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 hear them or to respond to them. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, solidifies my my faith in him. As a matter of fact, that I can say to him, you know, by asking that kind of question of this man Abraham, in a sense. You know, and his, his, his acceptance of it and his acquiescence um, in doing this task calls into question your morality versus his morality. Um, and again, I say that with fear and trembling. Well, you know that I applaud your courage and boldness. Uh, I know you well enough. So, um, I, I know where it's coming from. Uh, as I said, uh, the, the other poem that you put out on Facebook uh, I, I was watching to see how the disc, how the discourse will go. I'll, I'll of course keep watching it as well. Uh, yeah. it, it of course this kind of, sometimes it's death scare, yeah. uh, folks. Um, and um, but uh, it, it's that boldness, that courage, that strength and faith is yeah. is so worthwhile to to all of us. Yeah. I noticed that my my daughter uh, made a comment uh, yes. <laughs> on, that, on that thread, and uh, I was really excited that she she chimed in, and uh, you know she's she's a poet uh, herself, and um, she's uh, on the Lord's side, and uh, and right now is uh, enrolled in uh, uh, a ministry institute in in Atlanta, and she's serving the Lord, and uh, she's really doing that with with abandon, uh, reminiscence of. Uh, of my own uh, teenage years when I, uh, you know, was uh, doing that kind of thing. <laughs> well, you know, I did the one thing I didn't mention. I didn't uh, mention your uh, uh, your seminary background or any of that. I was waiting to see if you'll bring it up or not. I still will wait to see if you you you'd bring it up. Um, 
but that that's good to hear. So, does she write a lot of poems? Are any of them published, or she just keeps them to her bosom, or? Well, I think she just said had uh, you know her her stock of, of poetry copyrighted. Uh, you know, I've, I've, she she's shared a few of them uh, with me, but uh, she <laughs> certainly you know she's certainly in on that track. <laughs> good, 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 good. Well, she you know doesn't fall far from the tree. They said, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your process. Uh, someone did ask on Facebook, um, how do you go about? In fact, they said, teach me how to write poems like these. So talk to us about that process. Well, the subject matter for my poetry, um, as I said, are basically uh, coming out of my own experience. Mm-hmm. The subject matter themselves, the the essence of of, of the the poems, um, you know, they're like they're sort of like percolating, and they're like you know, could, could you imagine that that volcano where where there's activity going on, uh, you know, you're not seeing it. So um, it's not that I get you know a subject and I you know right now and then I sort of deal with it, but these things have been sort of in me and and. And you know, been mulling them over, thinking about them, you know, over the years, over time, uh, and it's only within the last ten years or so that I started uh, writing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, my friend uh, Austin, who asked the question, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, this is not something that I can do. Um, in a sense, I don't even understand how I do it. But like I said, uh, most of the most of the the, the, thought, the thoughts are, are really uh, have been there, have been there since since childhood, have been there since uh, my teenage years, have been there uh, post uh, my seminary years, and and sort of were t- being turned over in my mind and in my heart, um, and then uh, are now beginning to to sort of get put out there, and I'm impelled to do so. Uh, for some reason, I can't but put them out um, in the, the, the way I am uh, putting them out uh, currently. And one of the things that I would uh, advise, uh, one of the you know some suggestions that I would give for people who are interested in in in, in writing poetry and stuff like that. First of all, uh, publishing is not the first priority. Um, before I even, you know, thought of, of publishing or anything like that, I'd already written, you know, legion of poems. Um, it never crossed my mind at all to to publish until people started saying, "Hey, Rick, you know, I think you should, you know, you should start to publish these things." I'm like, hmm? "What? Hell no! I'm probably gonna make a, you know, uh, publish a few copies just to give uh, close friends, and that's it." You know, so publishing should not be the first priority. Secondly, uh, what they should do is read uh, the poems of others. Read as many poems from, from other uh, writers that uh, that you can. Um, people tend to think that their poems are, are, are all that matter. You know, uh, that's not the case. You know, we need to have a sense of humility that uh, there are others who um, write very good poetry and from whom we can learn. So reading the poetry of others is, is very good. 
And a key thing to remember is that uh, poetry is essentially compressed emotion. Um, that's what it is. And because it's uh, compressed emotion, the first sort of business is not to try to understand it or try to interpret it to you know, find out what it means. What you should be listening for um, is its rhythm, its tone, its beat, you know, the emotional rhythm, the emotional tone, the emotional beat. Eventually, um, uh, meaning and understanding is going to come. Um, a lot of people, that's why uh, people get turned off from poetry. They think that poems are, are, the, poems are these really uh, cryptic uh, constructs that have some hidden meaning to them that you have to dig deep or you have to have some special gift or insight to really appropriate uh, their, their meanings. That's certainly not the case. In fact, good poetry is simple, um, clear, uh, on the surface, not, nothing that you have to go digging deep uh, you know, uh, to acquire its meaning. Um, and very importantly, if you're going to write poetry, then you need to understand the elements of poetry, um, understanding figurative devices, understanding figurative language, understanding symbols, similes, metaphors, the difference between connotation, denotation, and all those kinds of things will certainly aid in, in helping the individual to, to write better poetry. And then lastly, I would suggest that uh, the individuals who are so uh, minded, that they be watchful and observant, and that they listen, you know. Um, there's a lot going on around us. Um, there's a lot of rhythm and music and and, and beat uh, that is going on around us, and we can pick these things up, you know, and, uh, you know, then we, we start to hear it in our minds, and we start to use words like, uh, like paint, you know, manipulating words to, to sort of respond to that beat and rhythm uh, to produce uh, really uh, wonderful and inspiring uh, poetry. But, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, that's all I can say. I'm not the expert, but uh, those are some things that I think would be helpful. Well, no, those are powerful advice. And, and for the listeners, obviously, I hope they listen to it over and again. Uh, but uh, we will capture those points and also put it out on the blog uh, so that uh, you could either share the audio or share the blog with that advice. I think that's very powerful yeah. advice. I, I like it uh, a lot, Rick. Um, again, just pushing for time, even though I could just sit here and let you uh, continue on uh, with this, this part of the discussion. Let's jump to the, the other poem, and this is the time for you to read. <laughs> oh, you're a I've done my part. <laughs> I don't like reading so, my poems. That, you know, no, but, but you do read them well. I, I, I say that meaning you, you know that I mean that. Yeah. Um, I like listening to you read your poems. Oh, I like listening to you. What if I can cannot to the ground to get you to read the others as well? <laughs> but anyway, I'll, I'll read the I'll read the rest. That was the plan, and uh, that's what we agreed on. And I'm a man of my word. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's go with uh, the evidence of things not seen. All right, the evidence of things not seen. Into that place where transcendence meets eminence, they came. Mother and child, she purposeful, he hesitant, diffident, timid. In that place where stained glass tells stories and sculptures with wistful gaze look down upon votaries, they stood, child and mother, 
embraced by the silence, awed by the holy, that place of last resort after all else fails. In that place, they knelt side by side, mother and child. No chance visit this, but by maternal love propelled, a mother's desperate heart pours out words unspoken while he with staff in hand and a child on his back looks down. Were those sightless eyes capable of sight, they would see the boy's adoring gaze. But who could know those words of sacred whispers that from that child flowed? The pain, the suffering, the nights of restless sleep. Who could know a mother's anguish while daily and helplessly upon her suffering child she looked? The burnt offering is made, put there in the little box by the boy, a mere penny, like the widow's might but a sweet fragrance. From that place they went, hand in hand, child and mother, anticipating, expectant, hopeful. The evidence of things not seen. Right. Um, yeah. Let me let me just, I, I want you to comment on that, but just let me, I don't want to do the same thing I did the last time. We yeah. have eight minutes more to go. I'd like you to comment on that. And I really, really want you to to, to get to the poem Rick uh, for, oh. for a different reason. So um, comment on that, and then we'll go to the next poem. Uh, the, the evidence of things not seen is uh, an experience uh, that I've had when I was uh, a young boy. Um, I had a, a, a problem with uh, my left upper arm. Um, I uh, used to be uh, harassed and bullied by uh, another boy in our village, and every time he saw me, he would he would punch me, and I would turn to give him my uh, upper arm, left upper left arm, and he'd keep pounding that every time he saw me. It turned out that uh, an abscess developed uh, on the spot as a result. And subsequently, uh, I had to be hospitalized uh, over a period of time uh, for that uh, injury. It took a period of uh, about a year before it uh, eventually uh, healed up. But during that time, my mom, uh, she would be taking me to this doctor, that doctor, to this person, you know, the... Uh, you know, the sort of homemade person who would fix things, you know, give you all the different herbs and stuff like that. And then she took me one day to the cathedral, the Brick Dam Cathedral in, in Georgetown. And uh, could you imagine uh, a young boy uh, going into that cathedral surrounded by stained glass windows, surrounded by the icons and it was an amazing um, uh, moment uh, for me, and it was a moment of faith, actually, because I really believed, as we knelt before the statue of St. Peter um, with the child on, on, uh, on his shoulder, I really believed that St. Peter was going to do something uh, for, for me. So talk about childlike faith. Um, it was a very wonderful experience, and uh, I think uh, it drew me closer to my mom. Um, she was uh, quite an amazing woman, as all moms are, um, for sure, um, because, you know, they, 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 they look out for us no matter what. Um, so, yeah, the evidence of things not seen. Great, great. Well, um, uh, I know that I'm watching time, but even when we go off air, if we're not finished, I will... I will still continue to capture it on the podcast. Um, 
uh, let's let's go to RIK. All right. Uh, so you you want me to do that now? Okay. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> okay. So here's RIK. RIK um, is uh, basically about uh, three of my children. I have four children actually. Uh, three uh, are biological, and and one is not. But as far as I'm concerned, they're they're all uh, except for the biological difference. They, they, it doesn't matter to me. They're all the same, and I love them all. All four of them. Um, RIK uh, was basically is basically about uh, three of my children before the fourth one uh, came into the picture. Though I've already written a poem. Um, about him, but uh, let me read R.I.K. It really uh, highlights the uh, idiosyncrasies and uh, the special way of relating to them that I've had over the past, uh, over the years as I watched them uh, grow up. And one of the uh, key things about this poem is that I remember every night uh, before I uh, put them to bed, uh, I would sing for them, uh, you know, that uh, song, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild, Look Upon, or mm-hmm. This Little Child, you remember that? And then there yeah. was a, a hymn that I learned when I was in uh, in kindergarten, uh, Loving Shepherd of Thy Sheep, Keep Thy Lamb in Safety, uh, Keep. That's very, very important uh, to this poem. And in a way, it ends, um, a, a verse from uh, each of those uh, songs ends uh, each uh, stanza. And uh, my kids, these three kids will know very well what's going on uh, in the poem. But here goes. R.I.K. You arrived all three in moments of crisis. You in the early morn, and you and you after the light had faded away. Fortitude, decisiveness, and deliberateness preceded each appearance. No introduction was necessary, for with my voice you were already familiar. Many a night and in the wee hours of the morn that close bond we formed, exchanging silent looks while humans and beasts gave themselves over to sleep. Loving shepherd of thy sheep, keep thy lambs in safety keep. When the fire burned within, when at death's door you lay, you and you and you, my bosom was your refuge. Lying skin to skin, willing the transference of that burning plague from you to me. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon thy little child. So what did I do? I showed you no mercy. Wimps need not apply, crushing you at Fisher's game, ruthlessly dominating you at Jordan's game, all by design. But you had your revenge. It was what I expected. The lesson was well taught. The lesson was well learned. Pride filled my heart as I was crushed in the schoolyard on that hot summer's day. Wimps need not apply. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. You with the hazel eyes, you scare me. I look into those eyes and had to look away, for they stared back, unshifting, into my very soul. It was like staring into the abyss. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt your listening of Tom Petty. Walk into Mrs. Robinson's place, we play What's the Sound? With slightly protruding tongue moving in and out of pursed lips and gently rubbing the teddy bear against her cheek, the little girl sat as her head was shaved. After all, my father did the same to my sisters to contain the sores. 
angry mother. Nothing can thy power withstand. Here comes Mr. Perez, coming for that scallywag who scatters the meal with little hands while sniffing gleefully, who refuses to exchange the old, worn-out, decrepit daddy for a new one, who will respond to dipsy-doo or dipsy-dee, but never to sexy-wexy or wexy-sexy, that sweet, plaintive voice that could melt the hardest of heart responds to the question, do you want to? Be still. What is that I see on your head? My God, it's bleeding. There's a huge crack there. Some sucking comes to an abrupt end. None can pluck me from thy hands. In the end, Pinocchio did find his father, and Jiminy Cricket did find Mr. Geppetto. In the end, you all saw the moon and knocked it off with the funny stuff. And in the end, you will all have gone through the ritual of cigarette and beer. But I look at these hands, these hands that carried, these hands that cared for, these hands that comforted, these hands that corrected you and you and you, knowing that I could have done nothing were it not for the eternal hands. Keep my lambs in safety. Keep. R I K. Well, we you got the poem in on air, but we'll still continue for a couple of minutes off air, okay. and it will be it will be captured in the blog. Okay. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about that poem. Well, the the poem basically is about my uh, like about three of my kids, uh, Roberto. Um, that's what the R stands for in the title. Imani, um, uh, the second uh, child. And uh, Kara, uh, the K in the title, uh, the third child, and uh, you know, as, as they grew up, there were certain things that I would do with them that uh, was really part of our relating with each other and bonding with each other, and uh, has now become the stuff of conversation uh, as we reflect on the past uh, as they were growing up, uh, and so that's basically a tribute uh, to them, to their childhood and their growing up. And and to me, uh, simply saying, listen, I, I couldn't have uh, been the father that I've been to them in the past without uh, the hands of the Almighty guiding me, um, you know, as a parent. Great. Great. Well, you know how much I appreciate that uh, you, you were willing to share these poems. And, of course, this is by no means going to be the last, not from my end, <laughs> but but uh, but uh, remember the last time uh, you were on? I, I normally actually in the middle of the program would play a bit from uh, our SBL series from a sounds like life. Um, I didn't uh, today because I I wanted to give you every chance to to get through those poems. Right. But uh, the last time, uh, and I asked you what I ask each one of my guests. And the the other members of the what we call the Jaguar Pop Show ask other folks the same question, and and we're we're compiling them. It's actually part of a game, and and part of it's actually turning out to be a very very uh, informative uh, bit of information beyond what we had intended. Right. And uh, uh, of course, you know the know the question: which hand you will choose if you were in a deep hole, based upon what the sage had said, and the choices were. 
uh, between the clown, the hustler, and the riddler. Do you remember the choice you made the last time? Yeah, the last time I, I chose the clown, and uh, I will continue to stay with the clown. I want absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with the hustler or with the riddler, because what's interesting... <laughs> Uh, yeah, th these two men are uh, simply uh, for themselves. The hustler is thinking only about himself. The riddler really has no interest in your so solving his, his riddle, uh, because if you solve his riddle, he's no longer the riddler. So he's all about himself. <laughs> Choose the clown because, um, you know, the, the clown is, is real. The clown is actually given of himself. See, what we have to understand is that uh, the clown in wearing the mask. It's when you wear a mask that you really um, uh, present who you are. The, the mask helps us to, to liberate ourselves, uh, basically, from our inhibitions and, and all such things. So the clown, when he, when he is, he is fully uh, himself. So he's giving of himself. Um, he's not holding back anything, and he's not being devious or trying to trick you in any way. He's entertaining you. But then, on the other hand, there's a duality about the clown, actually. He, the, the clown is a tragic comic uh, figure. He's a comic figure in that, you know, he yes, he makes you laugh. But if you look closely, there's a sadness uh, to the clown. And so the clown, in a sense, represents for me um, human existence, that duality of existence, the pain and suffering uh, on one hand and the joy and peace and happiness on the other hand. And that's all a lot. And so I can relate to that. And as I said, you know, you have to laugh at, at existence. You have to laugh at life because if you don't, then, you know, you will go through life really, um, you know, in, in the doldrums all the time. As I said, you know, as his hand reaches down to me, I'm, you know, as, I was, as I'm in the hall, I'm thinking, is this somebody's idea of a joke? You know, and then as the clown reaches down to me, I'll look up at him and say, you know what, that wasn't funny. But of course it was funny. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll stay with the clown every time. <laughs> well, thank you. I know that you would have a fascinating view of the matter. One, one last question I'll ask uh, uh, before we wrap this up. I know that every year uh, you you try to uh, learn something new or discover something new. Um, Where did you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, w w what are you doing this year that's going to be new? Oh well, this year my plan is. Uh, oh well, there are two things that I'm going to be doing. One, I'm going to be learning Portuguese. Somebody's going to be very happy to hear that. So I'm going to be learning Portuguese. And then secondly, um, uh, by the end of the year, I'll be telling you, uh, hey, Neville, uh, guess what? I can play the drums. Now, I'm thinking, <laughs> about, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about either the sort of traditional African uh, drum or the sort of regular drums that uh, are played in, in bands. I haven't made the choice yet, but usually this is something I do. Uh, in the summer, and um, I think I'm leading, leaning more towards the uh, the traditional um, uh, African drums, um, and I'm definitely going to learn that uh, this year, along with uh, Portuguese, which somebody's going to be very happy to hear. <laughs> oh, we know who that is. Yeah. I, I am extremely grateful that, um, that you are willing to do this. We'll uh, talk offline some more about your poetry. Yeah. And I hope that you'll be willing to come back 
on the show. It is a delight for me to 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 listen to your views, educate and inspire me, and trust that you did the same for for the audience. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you, Neville. It was a pleasure indeed. Okay then. Bye bye.